Welcome to the Prickly Couch podcast where three mujeres have real conversations. We'll share our stories and talk about wellness, familias, work, and everything in between in our experiences as Latina women. Hi, y'all. Welcome to our next episode of the Prickly Couch. These are your hosts, Gabriela Hurtado. Karen Limon. Jesse Serata. <laughs> nice. We got it this time. We got it. Um, so today we're going to be talking about Latinx folks in public service. The elections are coming and, you know, we're going to have a, a guest. So we'll be introducing them um, and we'll be getting to talk to them about what to do in this environment, what to do in this political climate, how to get involved. But before we do that, we'll check in, see how things are going with us. Um, who wants to go? I think you should go first this time. Okay, first. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm doing good. My puppy didn't have an accident for two days in a row. Big okay. milestone. Props. Props. Also rode in the car without barking. It's on, it's on his Instagram at Pequeña <laughs> Tormenta. Make sure you tag it on Instagram so people know yes. And I am feeling like a proud dog mom at this moment. Well, he is biting shoes right now. So 30 seconds ago, I was a very proud mom. Um, so that's it. Yeah, but I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I'm. I was saying in there how's how's living in the pandemic going these days I am running out of shows to watch that I think I'm going to enjoy um Gabby and I were just talking I've been watching a show about dating which is fun because it it's and also the bachelorette because I my friend and I just get a good crack of that like <laughs> we think it's so funny especially this season no I don't know. Oh yeah, the drama, the drama. The drama, the most scandalous season ever. It cracks me up every time. Yeah. I yeah. love those shows, y'all love those shows. <laughs> I know, but I had, side note, but I didn't, this is like the second season that I watch of the either The Bachelor or The Bachelor, because I was like, I'm not gonna watch that, that I know that's not supposed to work, but I started watching it and I just like have to gasp every five seconds. I'm, we look around and we're like, oh my God, like, Mr. Ceso, like, what the heck? It's just, no. <laughs> you're we'll going to run out of your shows. Entonces, what are you going to do? I guess I'm going to have to go back to other stuff, like <laughs> re go rewatch Rebelde for like the fifth time. Yeah. <laughs> just rewatch stuff, but. I'm sure they'll come up with new stuff. They always come up with new stuff. Um, but other than that, um, living in the pandemic, I'm just tired of being at home. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's come to the point. It's come to the point where I'm tired of being at home. Um, I went to a farmer's market and that was very scary because I felt that the six feet social distancing mm -hmm. stuff wasn't really being respected because mm -hmm. there was just a lot of people and pets. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard for people to control where their pets are going. Um, so that was kind of scary, but it kind of made me long for the times that I could do that without being afraid. Um, so I don't but think- you went. That's a good step. That's a yeah. big step. Yeah. Get out. I think so too. I don't know if I'll do it again, <laughs> but- <laughs> It was it was nice 
to see people. And it's also nice to see people talking to each other um, with their pets, having like socializing, which I think I like people watching. It's, it's a nice thing to see people enjoying themselves and having a good time with others. Um, so I do miss that, but safety, safety is number one right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you're missing out on the, like, there is a big pet, pet community here in yeah. Austin, right? Like, that's, you know, you're missing out on that socialization. Yeah. How are you, how are you, Josie? Uh, I am okay. It's Monday. Um, I am, I didn't, we didn't sleep well last night. My poor, my poor baby had nightmares and was up a lot and so we had a late start today um so yeah and I was I stayed up way too late and I stayed up late and of course like the one night I stay up late he wakes up <laughs> so I don't know I probably got like four hours total but um it's Monday not a great start to the week <laughs> and and I, coffee. <laughs> I got my coffee <laughs> you're like Yes, but we got we just got back from we took um, our road trip to um, the Ozarks. So we stayed in Arkansas um, and we stayed in our trailer, which was awesome. <laughs> which, so, the me, photos were awesome. Yeah, it was beautiful. And, and we did homeschooling from there. And it was just like that. And I don't know how you've done it, but I was over being at home like week two. <laughs> oh, be having this trailer and like being able to get out has helped big time it was a nice break to the routine um we were we did like you know there are places in rural america like we went drove up through dallas oklahoma and then over to arkansas where folks aren't wearing masks so I had one of those moments. Uh, we went in to pick up, um, and we have a big old trailer, so we can't do drive-through. We have to get down and pick up our food when we're on the road. I took all of our food, so I prepared everything. So once we were there, we had all the food we needed. But when we're on our way, we had to stop, right? Because I, you know, um, bathrooms or whatever. Dude, I had a moment where we stopped at a at a like uh, kind of like a Dairy Queen place, but it's called Brahms. It's up north. Um, I don't have them down here, but uh, I was like standing there and there were so many people. I'm, I'd say about half of them were wearing masks and <laughs> they text Robert, I'm like, you need to come get the kids. Cause I'm like freaking out internally. I'm like standing back the furthest I can, like up against the wall while I'm waiting the food. Of course the food takes forever. And I'm just like, <laughs> So pandemic, like fear is a thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. I'm just standing there and I'm like, more people coming in without masks, like nada, nada, no masks at all. Like, I'm like, what is happening? Entire families coming in without masks. <laughs> so that was our, that was the most stressful part of our trip was managing. I feel you got in I feel more comfortable now that I'm back after experiencing that being back in Austin where at least everyone for the most part wearing masks I'm like okay that gives me that may I'll probably be one of those at the farmer's market because I feel better like oh my god at least we're all <laughs> yeah oh yeah um, everyone was wearing a mask it was just crowded but I can imagine how that's scary I went to a gas station and the employee was not wearing a mask. Yeah, same thing. I was like, 
okay. And this was this was a while ago. I think this was back in May. And I was like, no. I wanted to run back. And I'm like, but I need gas. <laughs> I can't run without the gas. <laughs> No, it was like 50 50 it was it was interesting so that's a whole thing right mm-hmm. you know these days but i'm glad you have the the rv to be able to enjoy that and go to, out to nature i think that's really yes, cool yes it was mm-hmm. so beautiful it's beautiful out there if y'all ever want to do a road trip it's only 10 hours which like is not bad at all <laughs> that's it though 10 hours just 10 hours <laughs> from austin we did the 10 hours the whole way back the whole way back, we were just like, you know what? We were, it was either like we stopped in Dallas and we were like, it was at that point where we're like, oh, we just want to get home. And the boys were like, yes, let's go. Let's go. Let's get home. So they were down. They did the whole. So we spent 12 hours in the car on Friday. But we made it. Wow. Made it back. I'm glad y'all back. And the mm-hmm. photos were awesome. I lived through you this weekend. It's beautiful out there. And my boys were fishing. Mm-hmm. Like the age where they could like go off and fish by themselves. I mean, of course, we could see them you know uh they were but they are not arm's length they were like a few yards out mm-hmm. and just you know just going down there and it was so nice just to see them play in the rocks and play with the water and yeah it was a good break it's so beautiful and the falls are the fall right the the leaves are changing we don't have that here so i was just like yeah <laughs> leaves <laughs> gabby como estas mujer uh I'm good. I'm hitting week 37. Now. You're still pregnant. Still pregnant. Um, <clears throat> but all in all good. Um, I have family visiting. Um, so my mom and brother are here, which has been really helpful helping us back and helping Ken, my husband, with I want things to do around the house and outside the house. So he's getting some extra support. It's so good for you to have your family there, Mohan. I mean, I know. So this first, yeah, this is the first time I'm seeing them since I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. They're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, like this is hard. I'm like, yeah, it's very hard. Um, so it's been it's been interesting, um, but they're very excited, and we've been spending time together, which felt really good. And yes, there was my birthday. So happy birthday! Yay, thank you. It was really good. It felt like a very restful weekend, which I needed. Um, and then this week feels quieter um, as I'm wrapping things up before I have to I have to take off for a few weeks. Um, a few weeks, por favor, mujer. I love it. More than a few weeks. Y'all know me. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. Um, I get bored really quickly with with life. Um, and things. The baby will not, will take care of that for you. You will never have another bored day in your life, Mohan. We shall see. We shall see. I'll hold on to that and text you. Uh, <laughs> trust me. Trust. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been, it's all been good. I can, I have no complaints. It's been really restful and peaceful this past couple of days. Um, and yeah, I think just I'm switching off slowly to that other other side of things um yeah so things are good things are good mm-hmm. how are you feeling in terms of like physically i'm just very tired mm-hmm. um yesterday was a hard day 
um, in Saturday too, just because I'm having more contractions more often and they're getting more painful. Um, so, and that's like my cue to slow down and lay down and drink water and just, which I, slowing down is very relative because I'm not doing anything heavy, but, um, but yeah, at this point, anything like having a shower is hard, you know, so. <laughs> So, yeah. Putting on shoes, putting on clothes, even I remember even like brushing your hair gets to the point where you're just like, uh, everything. Oh my God, just, yeah. I'm going to do the minimum that I can and just rest and that's being helpful. But other than that, it's been okay. Um, just having to take it easy and rest um, a little bit more. Um but all in all good, I can I cannot complain. I'm like, I think I, I'm still able to sleep some. Mm. I'm still able to do things. Um, and today I have my checkup and we'll see how things are going. Yeah, so a few more weeks and, and he'll be here. So that's all I can think of. Yeah, that's so excited. I can't wait to meet Lucas. He's gonna be so beautiful. I love the name you picked out, Lucas. <laughs> yeah, we love it too. Mm-hmm. We're very excited. So all in all, good stuff, good stuff. Um, we have the wonderful Dr. Andrade and Guajardo joining us. Um, Josie's going to introduce you, uh, Andrea, and then we'll move into talking about how much of a chingona you are. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Andrea, thanks for um, joining us today. And Gabby, I just have to say how you're high, y'all, at the beginning of the podcast. You're getting more Texan. <laughs> <laughs> As these podcasts are going along, I feel like you're growing in your to your tejananes. I'm getting comfortable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Andrea is another chingona. We're so excited to have you with us today. You're actually our first official guest. Um, our first few episodes were just us talking, um, talking away, and now um, we've invited some other chingonas to, to join our space and to learn um, about you. So we thought of you, Andrea, um, specifically because you're a chingona, which means, you know, a badass and all the things that you do for as long as I've known you. Um, Andrea is currently, for those of you who don't know her, currently Chief Information Officer at Workforce Solutions, Alamo City, right? Workforce Solutions, Alamo, yeah. Oh, sorry. Damn it. Yeah. I was close. Um, she's a critical race scholar, which we can ask her to talk a little bit more about what that means. Um, and a research and evaluator, which is how we know each other from um, my my past life and research and evaluation. I guess my current life too, but whatever. Um, and you do all kinds of badass things there in San Antonio. Um, you're in San Antonio, Texas. You, I know you're on different boards for different nonprofits. You've done um, Latina leadership things. You're you've just uh, all around that. So thanks for joining us today. Thank um, you, thank you. You want to talk a little bit about who you are? Yeah, I mean, I always, I always like feel a little bit humbled by when, when someone says, oh, you're a chingona, you know, chingona, chingona, because, because, you know, I've, I've always wanted to have like a, a larger conversation, multi-generational conversation about the word chingona, because I think it means a lot of things to different people. Um, you know, my older um, female relatives, and male relatives just think it's the worst thing you can do is just call mm-hmm. each other chingona, how dare you? You know, and I was talking to a friend of mine and um, I was like, how do you feel about the word chingona? And she was like, oh, no way. And she's my age. And I thought, um, you know, what's your beef with it? And she was like, 
we're not chingonas at all. She said, you know what? She was like my grandma that raised like 12 kids and was a migrant farm worker and like, you know, like carried water for two miles every day. She's like, that's a chingona. We can only aspire to be that badass, right? We've got pretty cushy lives compared to women that came before us. So, so, you know, that's, that's my frame, right? Whenever uh, someone says, oh, we're chingona. I do, I do, uh, I do appreciate being called it though, because it's, you know, I think it's something that we can say to each other and feel sisterhood and acknowledge, mm-hmm. you know, the badass in me acknowledges the badass in you. I think that's probably mm-hmm. appropriated from some other um, space. So yeah, so I'm Andrea, uh, Dr. Andrea, Dr. Andrea, which, you know, we, we've got to claim our titles all the time, mm-hmm. I think, because, you know, if they can't, see us, they can't be us, so representation matters. Um, I'm born and raised in Texas, so identify as Tejana, you know, and all that that implies. You know, my um, my father's parents were um, immigrated from Mexico in the, the 1920s, but my mother's family is Cherokee Nation, and so we're part of the tribe on that side. So, you know, the, the complicated identity that goes along with that and how, you know, I've really worked hard over the last several years um, especially since I started my dissertation work to understand what that means and the implications and the, the, the way that my identity informs the work that I do and my motivations for not just the research that I do, but the actual work in everyday life. So, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. And you also um, are a mother of four. You tell us a little bit about Five. So I'm single. No, four. No. Okay, four. four. Okay, I was like, wait, did I lose one? No, no, no. <laughs> Mother of four and about to be a grandmother. Grandma. Minute now. Like Any every minute? time the phone rings, I think she's yeah. going to play. Yeah, so I have uh, my oldest son is 25, and he and his girlfriend are about to have a baby. Any minute. Um, her name is Penelope Sol. Yeah. Mm. So give me your first little so baby. Um, I have a, a 19 year old who's a math major, math and philosophy major at the University of Incarnate Word here in San Antonio. My son, who is a painter, um, is 18 and just moved to New York City to go to the School of Visual Arts. And I have a 12-year-old who is in the seventh grade. And she's stuck here all day with me going to all my school. And how is she doing? You know, she's she, okay. She's all right. I mean, it's it's hard. She did mention the other day where she, you know, she was like, because I was like, I know it's hard. And, you know, it's we're all going through it. And she was like, no, at least you get to go to the grocery store. You go to your office sometimes. She was like, I can't drive away. You know, and she wants to like go walk in the neighborhood and she's 12 and I don't want her walking by herself in the neighborhood. So yeah, she's just, um, they don't have as much autonomy at that age where they can just kind of, you know, they, no job, no anything like that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's in seventh grade. It's so important to have your friends and like, it's all you care about at that, at that stage. Yeah. I mean, technology keeps them pretty, pretty connected, but it's still not, you know, it's not where it needs to be. So yeah. it's where we are. But yeah, well, and my entire, all of us had COVID in July. We were all diagnosed with COVID. So um, very mild symptoms, nothing serious. No one had to be hospitalized. So we were very lucky that way. But, you know, it's just been kind of a stressful summer. Yeah. So tell us about that, if you don't mind. Um, How are y'all doing? How was that experience for you all? Um. You know, my, my master's degree is in public health. My PhD is in education, but my master's degree is in public health. And so, um, and in fact, my concentration was infectious disease control when I was <laughs> doing my master's degree. So um, I was very vigilant. I mean, I was the one spraying my Amazon package with 
bleach and stuff like that and you know just super super vigilant and then right around father's day um my son's girlfriend you know she's pregnant and she was like my dad wants to have a father's day lunch at his house and i was like it's probably low risk you know because it's just her and her siblings and i think her grandparents were going to be there and i was like it's, it's probably okay mm -hmm. and um her her sister and her cousin were there and they had covid they had been infected yeah, and okay. they didn't know it so um yeah, so my, my son and my and, and his girlfriend were living with us at the time. So they came home and gave it to the other five of us. So yeah, that was right at like July 1st when we found out about that. So, I mean, the experience, I mean, for, for me, it was just sort of like, you know, I was so terrified and just like, um, like so scared to be out in the world and, you know, people wearing masks and hand sanitizer and all this other stuff. And then it was like literally in my house. And that's what happened. And so um, in the beginning, I mean, I was very scared. I mean, I, don't, and I mean, it's just like you, you, there was a moment where I thought, well, all seven members of my family are at risk for death, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so that was really scary. Um, I was also very scared of giving it to someone else, you know, like want to pick up my groceries. We did curbside pickup and, you know, all that stuff for groceries and didn't go out of the house for those 14 days. But I was really terrified of giving it to somebody else. So. But like I said, no, no major um, symptoms. We were okay, you know, so, good, good. so far so good. Good, thank goodness. I'm so glad you went through that. It's yeah. so scary. So sorry I went through it. Yeah, I was hoping, yeah. I was like, oh no, that's, I'm not going to get COVID. Not me, Miss Public Health, you know, Miss Careful. And the shit came through the door. That's the <laughs> thing. That's the thing. That's how it works. It's how it yeah. operates. That's my yeah. plan. So yeah, so um. But yeah, so everybody made it through. Everybody's fine. Everybody's healthy so far. So, you know, we're just kind of, you know, it was, just, it was more mental and emotional strain than anything else. Yeah. You guys should yeah. know about that. Yeah. yeah. We do. <laughs> we get it. Drinking hear it all the time. You hear it. I love yeah. it. Gabby, Dale, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say that I'm glad that y'all are, are doing okay. You know, it, it must yeah. be really scary. So. Well, especially for your, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. That, that's, that was, I mean, our whole thing was, you know, whether or not it could affect the baby and, and, um, you know, research was probably like, you know, as long as she was recovered by the time she delivers the baby, it's probably okay. But you know, when you don't know about how a virus mm -hmm. is going to react and, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, the baby's, you know, at risk when she's here. So Mm -hmm. Deep breaths. Stay, stay yeah. present in the present moment. Gabby is yeah. actually expecting a baby next month, so Gabby oh, will be having her first baby. Thank you. So you her know first how baby. your first, yeah, it's yeah. um, yeah. I mean, and not being able to go to the hospital and trying, you know, my son's what my son couldn't even go to most of the um, preliminary appointments, like when you know when they, she first started going. So yeah, it's definitely a different experience. Yeah, it's, it's different, and I think it's it makes it scary exactly for what you said. Like we don't, we there's so much we don't know. Yeah. Um, so I know for me, um, my husband is the one doing all the shopping and stuff, but it's been full full isolation. So yeah, that's been that's been interesting too. Well, and um, Sophia, my 19 year old, she went to donate plasma on Tuesday, and they called her today. So it's been 90 days, right? So, and because you know we just we, we should have gone earlier, but it's been 90 days, and so I thought it's probably still time. We can go donate plasma and they called her today and said that her antibodies were too low um, mm -hmm. to have effective plasma. They're not non-existent, but they're very low, which could mean 
a couple of things. It could mean that um, she just hasn't been exposed. And if she's exposed again, then it could spike her immune systems working well. But it could also mean that she's so, you know, at risk again. So mm -hmm. I'm going on Saturday to get my blood tested to see where I'm Just to see yeah. where you're at. Just to see. Yeah, yeah just to see. Right. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so tell us, uh, uh, I'm trying to think which way to go. You, you lead us where you want to. I'm thinking, do you want to talk about your dissertation and what led you to do that work and what it was about? And we entering an election season um when this airs it'll be like a couple weeks before um november 3rd or the week before november 3rd right mm -hmm. so um, it is mm, you know intense times right now yeah it really is yeah we can talk about that for sure um yeah so i guess um i started my coursework in 2013 so um around 2016 or so was when i was like you know starting to choose a topic and like what do I want to study? You know, it's a very big part of your dissertation work is like, what's your topic? What's your topic? What's your topic? And at the same time that was all happening, um, I had applied for and been accepted to a program called the Latina Leadership Institute, which is a leadership development program um, at the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Um, so um, what it is is basically like campaign school. And I had been and have been, had been, have been um, encouraged to run for office, you should run for office. And so it was a, a way to sort of discern whether or not I wanted to do that. Um, it, they taught you how to run, how to fundraise, how to be a candidate um, and all of those things, but also how to be a board member. I was an experienced board member by that point, but, um, but really wanted to know about the politics side of it, whether I wanted to hold office. And so, um, Throughout the course of the leadership development program, we were the inaugural class the first time they had done that. Mm. They were showing us lots of data from an organization called Latinas Represent, which very in very black and white numbers talked about the lack of representation of Latinas in elected and appointed office. Um, at that point um, in 2016, 2017, in, in the entire universe of people who had served in Congress since 1789, there were only nine Latinas, mm. nine. Not 19, not 909 out of 12,000 people. Um, wow. Yeah. And, you know, we had only had one Supreme Court justice, one senator, Catherine Cortez Masto at that point, who was a senator from Nevada. Um, and, you know, just like went through basically all, all of the offices. And of course, it gets more, they were more numerous, the more local you get, right? You know, like right now, the, the city council of San Antonio is 50% Latinas. Mm -hmm. Um, and one, um, well, it's 50% women, um, four Latinas, and one black woman, which is a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, but back then, 2016, just dismal, dismal data. And the, um, it occurred to me that, you know, and in the course of that, we were meeting lots and lots of, I say lots and lots, the ones that were in office, like lots of Latinas who were in office, like um, Ina Minjares and Leticia Vandepute. And there were a lot of books written sort of about biographies about this person or that person, but it was like sort of, it was, it was like a, you know, and you know, it was, it was sort of the exceptionalism narrative of why this person mm. was, you know, the one that could do it at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And exceptionalism is like a whole other area that I need to be writing about right now, but I just haven't done it. But, um, and a lot of books and papers about um, voter behavior and Latinos as a voting block. And, mm -hmm. you know, just, and I kept looking for 
um, real stories of real people of like what everyday life was for people who became elected, for Latinas who became elected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Didn't find any. So of course I was like mm -hmm. jackpot, you know. Um, that's what you want, right? You that's want a giant hole in the So I thought, you know, that, and that's kind of how that came to be. Where it, you know, it was something very personal to me in, um, in, in my life and whether I was gonna run and then, you know, the opportunity to do a research project on it. So that's how that happened. Um, and so, you know, just started reading through lots of things. It's a critical, you know, read what concentrated a lot of my um, work or my, my area of study in my um, PhD coursework was around critical race theory, Latino critical race theory, Chicana feminism, and wanted to explore those frameworks. And testimonial came about um, as a methodology because it just seemed to fit so well, right? Because the history of testimonial literature, its roots in Latino culture, um, the idea that these were stories and, and one of the tenets of testimonial is to give voice to those who don't have one, who can't or are unable to tell a story um, for fear of some retribution, of some barrier where they mm -hmm. could be killed or raped or you know their families are threatened. And in the case of Latinas in elected office, for them to tell some of the things that they told me um, could mean the end of their careers, the careers mm -hmm. of people you know, people you've mm -hmm. heard of in politics, um, the end of their marriage, you know, uh, it could be weaponized against them. So there were a lot of reasons why Latinas would not want to say some of the things that they said. So testimonials um, provide that opportunity because you're basically, you're using their own words, anonymized of course, to tell their stories, um, but taken as a whole, there's an intervalidation when you, you know, we, we talk about saturation, but I wasn't really kind of looking for saturation. I was looking for this intervalidation that says my story is your story. The mm -hmm. things that happened to me happened to you, maybe not the same way, but because of the way that we were, we were raised, when I say we, I mean collective Latinas mm -hmm. and our culture experiences growing up and our um, socialization around traditional gender roles and machismo, and Marianismo, the idea that I need to be a good wife and a good daughter and a good mother and a good sister, just a good girl, right? Mm -hmm. um, what that means when you then are elected to an office where mm -hmm. you're required to be a chingona and be tough and go toe to toe with a man and be seen as his equal. When you've sort of been taught that in order for you to be revered, you have to be this sort of, you know, Santa mm -hmm. kind of person. So that was, you know, the framework that, that I worked with. And, you know, the findings were really, I thought really impactful because um, we, I did find that, you know, of, I, I got seven Latinas to talk to me from yeah. nationwide. Yeah, <laughs> I was surprised seven said yes, you know. Um, <laughs> how many of, how, how large was the sample? How many, how, like, how many did I time? contact? How many did you have? 50 or so. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I got, I worked with a, a, an organization called NALEO, which is a national association of Latino elected officials mm -hmm. and like asked them from their directory and did my own research. Like who's a Latina? Like, do you have a Latina name or are you like a real Latina? Or, like, mm -hmm. you know, real, real Latina. Yeah. Right. Um, but who were, who was likely to identify as a Latina? Right. And, yeah. um, across the United States, 
I couldn't just stay in Texas because there's so few that everyone would know exactly who they were as soon mm -hmm. as I wrote it. So <laughs> they would yes, be like, I know who <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so nationwide, um, every part of the country, the, you know, the seven are from different parts of the country, um, legislative, state, federal, and judiciary. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they, and, you know, and the, the nature of testimonial is basically like, you know, tell me about, tell me how you grew up, tell me what your parents were like. You know what were what were their um, what was their relationship like? How did that you know how 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 um, did you perceive your mom? How did you perceive your dad? How did that affect your marriage? Are you married? You know all of those sorts of questions. And then how you know tell me about your life in office. And um, every single one of them said that they had a mother who was um, just so smart that maybe didn't finish school, but read a lot mm -hmm. and self-educated and very autodidact. And, um, you know, but all of them said, you know, you're gonna go to school, go to school, go to school. I don't want this life for you. This is the life mm -hmm. I was given, but you can go make a life for yourself. Um, <clears throat> most of them had um, the, you know, their relationship with their fathers was still very deferential and very respectful but acknowledged it, the, the shortcomings and the idea of machismo mm. and how it affected their lives. You know, some were very honest about how they mistreated their mothers, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, but I think that the biggest thing at the end of the day was that um, even though there are, all the, are these traditional gender roles where um, women are expected to behave in a sort of subservient way right in culturally um but the the fact that women are seen as in in latino cultures as someone to be put on a pedestal right to be mm -hmm. revered as a caretaker and as a nurturer for your family and someone that's gonna keep the family together that's a good thing mm -hmm. they didn't want to reject that part the marianismo part they just didn't want to have it weaponized against them when they went into mm. the workplace. And mm. I always use the, um, the example of like, um, like getting a cup of coffee or like fixing your husband a plate of food or something like that. You know, when my son comes over, I'm like, are you hungry? Can I feed you? I wanna take care of you. And you know, I wanna like wash their clothes and you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make me as a Latina woman or as a mother, like any less capable of being a strong, confident, mm -hmm boss in the right. workplace um and it's sort of like you know when like i said when my when my son comes over and i'm like can i get you a cup of coffee you know let me let me let me fix your cafecito you know that kind of thing but then if i were to go into the workplace and my colleague said hey can you give me a cup of coffee i'd be like you <laughs> like no get your own damn coffee exactly <laughs> Like nurturing is for my family, you know, does that mean I can be a nice person and offer to get you a cup of coffee? Yes, I can't, you know, but, but it shouldn't be an expectation. Like it shouldn't be the fact that, oh, well, you're a Latina, you're, you're supposed to be a caretaker, or you're a woman, you're supposed to be nurturing, get my coffee. That's mm -hmm. not how it works. And so the things that are so important to us as women and as Latinas, moms, sisters, daughters, friends, hermanas, um, we should be able to carry those with us. And mm -hmm. not say, well, you know, tell our, our kids, well, pick, you know, clean your own clothes and, you know, mm -hmm. all that stuff. We should be able to do both of those things at the same time. Mm -hmm.
And so these elected officials, yeah, these elected officials have been able, did you find that they've been able to kind of merge those two worlds together, right? Or be able to like stand with like, um, like a biculturalism, right? In their identities. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I liken it to code switching. Yeah, you know, like when you're when you're coming from two different sort of perspectives to to almost have to put on this, you know, like when you <laughs> when you put on your business suit, you know, figuratively to go to the office, you do have to kind of like watch out for that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because they they did a lot of them expressed that um, they had to sort of be careful when they realized they were being taken advantage of. I mean, and sometimes, sometimes it wasn't like, oh, I let myself be taken advantage of. It was just that people, they were being sexually harassed, which is not their yeah. fault, right? They're just being sexually yeah. harassed in their workplace or they're being, you know, discriminated against and not being given committee appointments or, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. one had to hide her pregnancy or else mm -hmm. she wasn't gonna get the job. Um, and, and the women were from mid thirties up to about 70 was their age range. So some of the older women um, had some, you know, pretty horrific stories. Like, if, you know, mm -hmm. if it happened to us, it would definitely be a lawsuit, like immediately. But it was like much more common to just sort mm -hmm. of like grin and bear it back then. Um, one of the women in the study identified as Afro-Latina. Mm -hmm. And um, that was really interesting um, because... Um, the, the the sort of the way the way that I sort of developed the findings was you know I I, I drew a lot on Kimberly Crenshaw's idea um, you know in her her the way that she frames black feminism but I looked at Chicana feminism right the fact that um, that Latina women um, don't just suffer from racism like a Latino man would they um, also suffer from or also victims of racism and sexism, right? Mm -hmm. And then colonization. So they call it, you know, like a triple oppression, mm -hmm. but it's more than what a uh, white woman would endure in terms of just sexism where she's not having to face racism. Um, mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to hear some of the stories that they told about like who they could count on to be their allies. More often than not, it was white men who were the ones that they didn't get much flack from, you know? Um, they, they, um, you know, from, from Latino men, it was seen as, you know, the sexism and, you know, you're a woman here in our, in our space, but also you're, you're, you know, working with the white men on this particular piece of legislation and therefore you're a race traitor. Yeah. And from the white women to, um, also feel like, um, that they're, that they had to, Number one, protect their whiteness, right? So they were feeling the racist um, implications of that. But then also competing um, for like the female slot, right? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes being tokenized as like, oh, it's just a, you know, here's a group of like 10 white women and we'll have the Latina on our side mm -hmm. so that we can claim diversity or something like that. So yeah, the, the question on that one was really kind of like, what was the difference her difference made? And that's a Kimberly Crenshaw quote. Like mm -hmm. when, we're, when we're looking at women and I'm saying, you know, I'm a Latina and I'm um, a woman and I'm different from Latino men in my gender, um, but not my race, but I'm different from a white woman in my race, but not my gender and from white men. And we, black men did not uh, factor into the, into the equation mm -hmm. in the experiences that these women have. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
So where do you, what's your sense of what you're getting um, with the current climate and going into a new election um, season, right? November 3rd and um, in your Early voting minute, starts on Tuesday. Early voting starts on Tuesday. Early voting. <laughs> so yeah, so talk to us like what, what are, what's going on? What are, um, what are our community members, what are they doing? How can our hunt get involved? How can they get, you know, um, how important it is to um, elect Latina leaders? Yeah, I mean, it, it got better after the midterms in 2018 election um, a lot. Um, they, they increased the numbers and I, I updated my, my slide. I, I don't have it in front of me, um, but, but still not enough, right? Mm -hmm. And back when I wrote my dissertation in 20. Um, 18, um, the, uh, it would, it would have taken 200 years to reach political parity just for women. That's like not even breaking it down into ethno-racial groups, which mm -hmm. means, you know, it would have, like at the rate we were going, it would have been 200 years before we got the same number of women into Congress, um, wow. as it would have for, um, for as, as men. And so it was, you know, it was encouraging at the midterms um, that we were able to increase the numbers so much. Um, I, I think it has huge implications for legislation, for um, the judiciary, whether or not we elect women of color to the bench. I mean, obviously, you know, we're having a Supreme Court issue right now. We have a white woman who's extremely conservative, who has, I mean, not just extremely conservative, has some very radical extremist um, based in religion views that I think will be harmful um, and especially to black and brown women because we are most at risk for having lack of access to medical care and um, safe abortion and birth control and you know all of the things that go with that so um, so it's not just like let's elect women I think it's identifying candidates and, and not to say that every Latina is going to be the you know, the one that's going to vote the way we need them to either to protect our communities, but um, to to identify people who will run for office, because it's hard. You take a lot of abuse while you're running, take a lot of abuse while you're in mm. office, you don't get paid that well. Um, it's, it's not, um, it's long hours, it's, and it's kind of thankless, you know, in terms of, I mean, it's public mm -hmm. service, it's not, it's not an easy job. So, um, I decided I'm not going to run for office. Um, I just feel like I have a big mouth. And I <laughs> <laughs> what went into your decision not to run? Um, so last year, um, I, my, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, um, became a city councilwoman in San Antonio. And, you know, and I helped her with her um, campaign. I, you know, I volunteer for lots of people. I do a lot of block walking. Not anymore, but I did. Um, phone banking, that kind of stuff. And um, when you're an elected official, you have to represent everyone in your constituency. Mm -hmm. And so you're not at liberty to have an extreme view. And, you know, and when I say extreme, I mean, I'm very opinionated. And when mm -hmm. I feel like I'm on this side of the issue and I'm on this side of the issue, right? I'm not gonna mm -hmm. equivocate. I'm, I'm not good at sort of seeing, I'm not a both sides person. I feel mm -hmm. like some of these things are rooted in human rights and civil rights, and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, 
she was having to answer a question. It was about the time when we were having to take uh, Confederate statues down in San Antonio. It was about that time. And of course, we were out at an event and, and she's a Latina, you know, and has a lot of integrity. But, you know, a white woman came up to her and said, you know, how do you feel about these Confederate statues coming down? And you could just tell she was, you know, against mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And of course, my friend had to sort of say, well, you know, we just need a larger community conversation around it. You know, da, da. I right then I was like, I just I, I, could, I would have told her, like, you know, sorry, lady, it's racist, white supremacist. <laughs> like, we're not doing that. So I just I feel like um, my voice is better doing the work that I do. In other settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in other mm-hmm. settings. Very good. But that's a good way to put it. Doing other things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little too outspoken, I guess, and a little too um, committed to what I feel is the, 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 right, the side of the right, right? Mm-hmm. Not very political, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, the, the current climate is, is dangerous. It, I mean, we've, we've seen that it's, yeah. it can, it's, it's deadly. Um, I think that it's, it's complicated by things that, um, like there's so many issues that pose um, real um, grave dangers to many of our black and brown communities, climate change, police brutality, healthcare. Um, you know, there's so many issues that you, just any one of them is an existential threat to, to our communities, specifically COVID. You know, um, ACA, I've done a lot of work on ACA enrollment and helping mm-hmm enroll our Latino communities in San Antonio, that um, it's, it's just so important. And so I think what people can do, vote, obviously, give up your time, give up your um, treasure. Um, Latino Victory Project um, was begun by um, Eva Longoria and some other folks that like look um, and support, identify and support Latino candidates. Um, not just for big office, but small office and boards and things like that. And, you know, there are school boards that need people to run. Mm-hmm. There are nonprofit boards that need representation. Um, attend your city council meetings, watch them online, county commissioners, uh, court, just pay attention to what's going on. You'll, mm-hmm. everyone thinks, you know, oh, well, I can't get involved. You'll find your niche. You just need to figure out what's important to you. Like what, what's the thing that's going to like say, okay, I want to call a hundred people and talk to them about that issue today. For some people, it's very different things. Um, yeah. So just do something like do something. Yeah. Get five bucks, go buy one of those fly swatters they were selling after <laughs> the debate last night. They sold fly swatters. Those, didn't they? <laughs> they sold 15,000 fly swatters wow. today. Five, five bucks a piece. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point, right? It's like to think about the little things and the big things. Like it doesn't have to be like the big, big things. It can be, you know, doing, I know that they asked for like people who could just call from their homes, right? Since we're in quarantine right now, right? And just like supporting that way. Um, donating to organizations that are getting out and registering people to vote. Um, things like that that make a huge difference. Well, and I hear so many people say, oh, I don't get into politics. You know, I don't don't get into politics. You know, it's it's not my thing. But I mean, one of the reasons that I started paying so much attention to to public policy, um, number one, you know, when I was first uh, working, like right out of graduate school, um, we were, I worked as a a grant administrator 
at Department of um, Community Health for a hospital system in Houston. And we, we gave grants to nonprofits and we were trying to change a law that, um, you know, and I was just, you know, just got my public health degree and I was like, you know, fancy pants, you know, I got my master's degree and I'm working. And um, there was a, a community clinic that, um, that we had given a grant to um, that let us know that they were like flushing hundreds and hundreds of doses of medication um, when their patients died. The, the law in Texas said that if you um, are in a nursing home setting, you know, or something like that, or community clinic or some sort of thing where you, you have medication and mm -hmm. someone died, you couldn't reallocate those meds anywhere else. They had to mm -hmm. be flushed and destroyed. And we felt like, like that was just such a waste and why couldn't we figure out some way so that they could donate those mm -hmm. meds, whatever they were, to like a community clinic who could then give them away for free as far free pharmaceuticals. And um, did a lot of research and my boss let me go testify at, at, in Austin, you know, at the legislature. Mm -hmm. And I was like 26 and I felt, I mean, put my little suit on. I was like, you know, <laughs> looking super cute. Wore the wrong shoes to walk around the Capitol. But, you know. <laughs> the long walk to even get to the front door is kind of big. I was like, this was such a mistake. Because, <laughs> you know, I love my high heels. And I was like, this, I didn't realize <laughs> what I was getting into. You know, and you have to wait for hours and hours to do, you yeah. know, public testimony and stuff like that. But, it, you know, and it seems so inconsequential, but it passed, you know, mm -hmm. and then we started, you know, quantifying the thousands of dollars of medications that were able to be, um, to be donated at that point. And that was the first time I thought, you know what, we can, you can change things. Like things yeah. don't have to be the way they are. You just have mm -hmm. to do something about it and advocate, advocate and lobby. And here, here are these, you know, at that point, it was just like a whole panel of white men who were staring at me, like mm -hmm. for my two minutes that I got to talk about free pharmaceuticals. Um, and you know, it, it, it really did make an impression on me that even the smallest things can make a big change. And so, yeah, but the, it, it also made me realize that it were the, it was these, you know, 10 legislators that, um, you know, we would go and visit their offices and they had no clue what I was talking about. They're like, Oh really? You got to throw those away. Oh, that's a horrible idea. Right. People who are in office need for folks like us to go tell them, here's the real problem. And a lot of times on some issues, not all issues, but some issues, they've never even heard that there's an issue, but you know, but they're the ones with the power to change it. It's not us. Like we were not elected. So the fact that I was working in nonprofit, uh, mostly with uninsured populations, it was like our collective fate as, you know, as nonprofit organizations and the people that we serve are in the hands of these people over here. Mm -hmm. So it matters who gets elected and it matters that we're in their offices telling them, here's how you should vote or here's mm -hmm. what law you should write in order to change that. And so because so much of the work that I was doing was influenced by that, it just became really important for me to pay attention to politics. Mm -hmm. You get to see it firsthand. Oh my God, it's insane. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's a big game, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, mm -hmm. but they treat it as, you know, like this big game and there's a lot of ego involved in it, you know, <clears throat> but I choose to believe that we can make things better. It's hard mm -hmm. to convince ourselves of that sometimes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. 
It is, especially right now, right? In a it's, pandemic and all the things going on, um, for sure. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Got in, were you going to say something? Yes. Like, just hearing you speak, Dr. Guerrero Guajardo, like, I'm on mute over here, and my heart is racing, and it's just so exciting to hear what, you're, what you do. And I think it says a lot that you looked into the literature and found that hole, and then went in and took the initiative to try to fill in that hole with information that we need, especially on Latinas. And I did want to ask you a question because our social media at Prickly Therapy on Instagram, <laughs> we focus on self-care and we want to share self-care tips. Awesome, yay. Uh, we focus on self-care and we want to share uh, self radical self-care tips to our following. And... Um, I noticed that you, like I heard you talk about how you heard there was nine out of 12,000, which that can be difficult to hear. And then you, I heard you talk about how the pay isn't well and all the issues that the Latinos were expressing in your testimonials. And I wanted to ask if you could share some self-care tips to the people who are listening to us today and to that self-care that was intentional to the work that you were doing, because I know it could be difficult and it's very important work. Yeah, the dissertation, um, like the data collection was was really hard. Um, and I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. I, I, I was thinking, oh, I'm a researcher, right? I'm going to go in very like, you know, and just listen to their stories. Um, but I had to come home and like be away from my family for a little while um, because I was angry, you know, and I was like barking at my kids because it was just like, I can't, you know, and I couldn't really share because it's confidential anonymous, you know, testimonial and data that I was collecting um, and just calm down really, you know, breathe and give myself time and space and not talk to anybody for a little while. Um, That was in the moment. Um, And then do it all over again when I was doing transcription and having to listen to it over again. Um, And um some of it was because not just because it's hard to hear stories like that but it's hard to relive some of my own experiences with some of the stuff that they were saying and you know and and whether or not I feel like I dealt with it the way they did or I would have or you know feeling feeling like oh I should have said that too you know and then kind of like internalizing you know why didn't I react that way in that situation um, so, um, for me, um, it's, it's space, like quiet, like, but like literally quiet, um, go away. I mean, some days it's, you know, watch Netflix all day and like zone out on real housewife trash TV. And like, I mean, my husband always tells me, he was like, you're one of the smartest people I know. Why do you watch this stupid TV? It's because I don't really have to like think about it. It's like a soap opera, right? You don't have to like right. figure it out. There's no mystery. I don't care about, you know, who done it and who's the killer or anything like that. Like it's just like, it's just, they're just yelling at each other. It's fine. Um, so, so there's that. Um, when I have time, I like to be active. Um, but you know, who has time sometimes, right? Um, I like to sleep. I try to get as much sleep as I can. Um, I do meditations when I'm going to sleep. So like I'll put my headphones in and I have an app on my phone that, um, that, you know, you can pick the 20 minutes or 16 minutes. Like, it's like basically how sleepy am I? Do I need 30 minutes of someone talking in my ears mm-hmm. and, and bringing me down while I sleep? Um, or is it five minutes? You know, um, I try to, um, take melatonin 
and you know I I was doing yoga for a long time before um, before COVID. Um, I liked Bikram yoga, um, the hot kind. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's all sort of like whatever. I mean, I wish I could say, oh, here's my self-care routine. But oftentimes it's not the same thing mm-hmm. week to week. It's like, what do I need right now? You know, mm-hmm. um, and not beat myself up if I don't go walk my two miles today or I haven't walked my two miles. Um, but still trying to remember and like remind myself, remember how good you feel when you like go work out. It's hard to remind those things. And um, I like walking around the grocery store with my daughters, you know, they, HEB is kind of our thing. Like we like HEB. We're like weirdos that like, we go to all the different our grocery store. <laughs> That's our <laughs> grocery store. <laughs> we go, there's lots of different ones. Like they're all sort of different and it's like a little bit of a cult following. And yeah. so we like to go to the different HEBs and just walk around and see like what's, what's there, you know? So, um, yeah, so my self-care tips there, it's kind of like, it's, it's hit or miss on some stuff, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not great at it. Ask Josie. <laughs> I do my best. I'm impressed with that. the list you just gave. That's awesome. Yes. Well, I mean, you have a pretty good routine. Yeah. Um, I do have several apps. Like there's, there's a couple of them. Like there's, there's one, um, but like a lot of meditation apps, there's one um, for like, it's like calm, like asking you questions mm-hmm. to kind of like, um, it, it's like PTSD questions. Like, are you in danger right now? Yes or no. And you're like clicking through until you get, you know, before you know what you're five minutes in and then the, the anxiety has passed and you can like chill and go to sleep kind of thing. So I try to just find tools, you know, and, I mean, sometimes like I'll literally go lay out on the grass. I like to do that. Like, like in the sun, like I take my yoga mat out there and just do savasana for like five minutes in the shade. It helps me. It sounds uh, awesome. Do I sound like, like a lunatic right now? I'm no. Like, <laughs> the no, grocery awesome. store is the spot during COVID. That is where everyone is at. <laughs> it's What's the that? only place that I go is the grocery store. So I understand the popularity. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to tell you that I drink wine to chill out but I mean I don't think that's self-care right that's not that's probably more destructive than <laughs> and I think a glass of wine good. can be yeah, yeah a glass of wine is self-care I give myself yes. permission to sometimes just need to like yep have wine sometimes that's what puts mm-hmm. me to sleep instead of my meditation but honestly mm-hmm. but yeah yeah yeah, and totally. I really like your list because it's a, a lot of activities, but they're very mindful about how you're feeling and what you're needing at the moment. So that's why you have so many activities because you really check in with yourself and you're like, yeah, oh, which one is going to make me feel good. And I would say also stuff like this. I mean, this is very affirming and validating to me because I mean, ask Josie. I'm like, nobody cares what I have to say. Like, you know, that like, I just feel like I'm just doing my best, right? I'm, I'm doing the work every day. Like in my full-time job, I work for workforce development agency. You know, we had 300,000 people in our region, our 13 county region around San Antonio that have applied for unemployment, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of, what do they call that? Vicarious stress, just listening mm-hmm. to people's yeah. stories mm-hmm. and, and hearing and just seeing the sheer volume of people that aren't working right now, you know, and mm-hmm. um, you, I heard one woman's story the other day on the news. It was like, you know, I used to live paycheck to paycheck and now I live box to box, food yeah. box to box, like food pantry. Yeah. Man, that hit me so hard. But then it also like 
got me moving that day. And it's like, if this is why I show up to work every day, this is why I work hard because, you know, I've, I grew up in poverty. My dad was really sick, so we didn't really have food. And my mom took it with his full-time caregiver. So like in hindsight, you know, she probably was, you know, not doing well. And, um, it was just, it was not great. And so, um, but preach school, go to school, go to school, go to school, you know, you're going to get educated. And I did. And along the way were, was given like so many great opportunities and was mentored by different people at different times. I mean, I recognize those opportunities and I worked really hard. I'm going to give myself credit for working really hard to, to do what I've done. Um, but I feel like because I've had those opportunities, I feel this huge debt of gratitude just to humanity in general. You know, I'm not trying to get rich. I'm just trying to like make people's lives better because it could have turned out very differently for me in nearly every data set that I belong to. I am an outlier. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to be who I am and successful and, you know, with four amazing kids and, you know, just like doing well. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's my obligation to do what I can to make people's lives better. Does that sound like, boring? No, but it seems like you probably had that in common with the women you interviewed, right? I feel like a lot of, um, yeah, from fo folks that I've met and network with, it's like that, like, you, someone was there for me, like, I've had, yes, we were tar, but we've had different opportunities that came across, and, and, and it's now I'm going to be there for other people, right? And be there specifically for uh, my community and do what I can to change policy or sign, register someone to vote, go door knocking, like get out there to do what I can to um, support change. Yeah. And that was, that was actually one of the last questions that I asked them as they were talking and we were wrapping up and I was like, you know, why, why do you do this? Why did, why did you want to be elected? Uh, you know, after all of this, you know, junk that you told me about how hard it was, why would you want to do that? And every single one of them, all seven, so a hundred percent of the sample, um, talked about altruism, right? <laughs> Giving back, wanted to give back kind of like what I just said, right? Like I've, I've gotten so much, I want to give back or a sense of justice where they saw some wrong in their life, whether it was to their mother, to their father, racism, sexism, poverty, um, whatever the case was, they wanted to rectify some sense that justice had not been served and that as an elected official or um, in appointed office, that they could somehow be a part of bringing justice to people who can't get it. So yeah, I mean, I identified a lot with them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> If, if I mean, I would hope that everyone's dissertation journey was as helpful to them as mine was. I mean, it really did um, help me understand who I was as a as a as an academic person. Um, really got me to reconcile a lot of my old junk with my my childhood, and you know, I mean, it doesn't solve everything, but it definitely does um, make force you to look back on yourself and hold a mirror up and say, you know, who are you? Don't be a phony. Because it'll show. Mm -hmm. It'll show through. So I think we made this connection um, a while ago, but the for me, when you talk about Leticia Van de Pew, right? Leticia Van de Pew is an elected official in San Antonio. She's Latina, mother of six. Um, she's right? like La Mera Mera, like she's one she's of the. Mera, like, Mera, you gotta so get her blessing. 
Yeah, when I was growing up, she was one of the one of the only Latinas in the elected uh, position, right? And San Antonio is one that had like Henry Cisneros. Like we've had like top Latino people come out of San Antonio. Um, and um, I was in high school, and it, I was in a private school, um, and my mom couldn't pay tuition, so we like somehow someone found me a scholarship, <clears throat> and I had to go accept it, and it was at a um, I don't even know what organization, no, it was out of LULAC or something, one of those Latin organizations. And I got to sit at Leticia Van de Pute's table. I had no idea who she was. No idea. I'm in high school. I was like 16, 17. And she just talked to me the whole time. It was like amazing. Then afterwards, I saw these signs around like with her name on it. I'm like, oh, shit, right? But it's like that. She was the one that from her pocket gave that money to fund me to be a, so I could finish my education in high school, right? So like the impact that Latina leaders have on us is generational, right? Like, and, and I think that's why that strong network of Latinas is why so many of us give back. Like it's in us, right? It's like, it's like our collective culture of like taking care of each other. This lady gave, you know, little high school student, um, money so I could pay my tuition and finish high school because the rates at that point in the 90s were like the statistically speaking in San Antonio I was not going to finish high school right it wasn't going to happen you were me. an outlier just like yeah I am. yeah so Leticia <laughs> when you every time you talk about her I'm like oh she has a warm warm spot in my heart because for her I finished high school I was able to to pay that tuition so I could stay in that private school if I for me it was important I had to be in private school I would have not gone the right direction um, if I had not been in a more strict environment. <laughs> Westside. <laughs> I know where we're, we're judging from. I know. No, I mean, that's, that's equity in action, right? Like, that's what yeah. we talk about when we talk about equity. Like, the, you know, and, and like, you know, in, in workforce, we, we always talk about these, like, second chance job fairs, right? Having a second chance implies that you had an adequate first chance. I didn't, that's not, that's not me. That's Tom Perez, who's like the former secretary of labor under President Obama. He said that I, I got, the, had the opportunity to go meet to the White House um, for like a Latino congressional roundtable kind of thing. And he was our like person in the room that was speaking to us. And he said that and I was like, fucking A, like, so you're true. right. Like how many of us really had a real first chance? First chance. You know, and they talk yeah. about it in the context of the formerly incarcerated, but you know, they're, this for, for a lot of us, we didn't have a first chance. It was by luck or by somebody's, um, you know, charity. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've been given so much. I mean, I've told you a story about my PhD and things like that. And it's just like so many people helped me out along the way and continue to mm -hmm. now, you know, there are so many people that are like, Oh girl, let me hook you up. Let me connect you to that person. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's because we have not, as a, as a culture, as Latinos, as a community, we haven't had access to those, those, those places of power, right? Because we've been locked out by discrimination to keep people out of elected office, to keep people, keep people out of the C-suite. No, you can't be an executive if you're a woman. No, you can't be an executive if you're a Latino. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, discrimination in voter suppression, right? Voter suppression in this state. Literacy this tests, poll taxes segregation, Jim Crow, lynching, you know, redlining. These are all things that have historically created this, you know, this collective barrier and an oppressive influence 
around our ability to thrive. Not because we're not smart enough. We definitely are. It's just the, the, the structural and institutional racist things that, that have kept us down. All, all the things, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we can get into all the critical race stuff. Um, I know when, they, when they talked about banning it in the federal, like getting rid of like microaggression and banning it at the federal level, like all these diversity inclusion and stuff. Oh, I really yeah. did think, I was like, you know, this is how they started during the revolution in China when they just like started like arresting mm-hmm. artists and intellectuals <laughs> and people who, yeah, and academics and people who were, you know, pushing these radical theories and, mm-hmm. and ways of thinking you and I would have been top of the list, all three of us, all four of us, it would have been oh, like, yeah. round up those letters. I have a federal grant, I have a federal grant right now. I'm like, oh. mm, y'all let me know. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're paying me with federal money to do this work. <laughs> right. And so, so you know, we, we would have been top of the list to yeah. do, to, to, to be targeted for the things that we do and the research that we do and the ways that we talk and think and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So, you know, thinking of equity in action, like doing those things that give us an adequate first chance. Right. And, and I think part of it is talking to each other, um, talking about how hard it is, you know what it's not, I mean, it is not easy to do research, to get a PhD. It's not easy to be a mother of four or, you know, you're crazy kids. I see you're nuts. Okay. <laughs> Two boys that are just like so active. This is not easy and nobody should pretend that it is because that's what yeah. makes other people feel badly when they're living, having their lived, yeah. lived experience and it's difficult. You know, there are days where I just, you know, we talk about self-care. There's some days I'm just like, you know what? No, mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit here and cry. <laughs> and yeah. maybe that's all, the, that's yeah. all I can do today, <laughs> you know, or, you know, taking care of everyone else's mental health in the family as well, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody else has got their stuff. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of emotional labor for me. And still trying to be supportive and, you know, without having the answers. But groups like Latina Leadership, where all of this started for me, um, we're in our fourth or fifth cohort now. Um, but to be able to like, like I never met you, but we're part of Latina Leadership. And so we automatically have the same ideals and the same, you know, and our, you know, virtual happy hours and our little group texts full of, you know, cheese men, like, oh my God, girl, did you hear, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of self-care that we need as well. But it's also equity. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so that's hiring for such and such? Yeah. Yes. You know, and I started to tell people like, you know, Josie, you and I had this conversation when I got hired at, um, at the university, at the new medical school to tell each other, like, how much are you making? You know, yeah. the, the, the reason we don't talk to each other about how much, you know, oh, you shouldn't talk about money. Nobody should know how much you're making because they didn't want women to know how much less money they were making or for black and brown people to know how much less money they were making yeah. than, than their white counterparts. So it's really important to be transparent about, you know, here's my success. And I'm not saying, you know, this is um, what I did to get this job or to get that appointment or to make this much money because it's a brag, it's because I want you to do it too. You mm-hmm. should be asking for what you're worth. Don't sell yourself short. Mm-hmm. And how can I help you? You know, here's, here's the person that helped me. Let me connect you over there too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love doing that. Like, you know, can I write you a letter of recommendation? Can I nominate you for an award? Will you nominate me for an award? You know, that kind of thing. So, and not to be afraid to ask for those things because it's the only way we're going to get ahead. 
or catch up, yeah. I guess. Catch up. Yeah, catch up. Equity. I mean, yeah, yeah. 200 years. Chingo. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's like three, four generations. No, <laughs> No, I mean, so so Hamilton came out over the summer, right? And I had never, mm-hmm. I, I never watched her or listened to her or anything, but I was like watching it and I was aware of the conversation and yes, they're colonizers and yes, they're slave owners and you know, all this stuff. But it just occurred to me, I was like, you know, who who is this person that inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda to like write mm-hmm. this whole thing, right? Because it kind of rocks, right? Like the music is really cool mm-hmm. and you've got all these black and brown people playing all of these parts. And I, I, you know, fully get the context of, you know, why there is a critique. And I think it's deserved, right? But I was like, what is, what is going on here? And so um, I thought, well, of course, because I'm a nerd and a dork, um, I want to read the book that he read to inspire this, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm in the middle of the biography right now. Normally, I read a lot of, like, critical race, racism books. But um, I thought, well, let me read this biography and see. And it's it's a really good um it's, it's a good narrative about sort of like why he was sort of driven the way that he was. He was, you know, he was a child of, you know, from the Caribbean, child of a divorced woman who was also herself the child of a divorced woman in the 1700s, right? So mm-hmm. that was like not a thing. But the whole time, I'm just like trying to picture the parallel narrative of, you know, because it's focusing on his life, but the parallel narrative of like my Cherokee ancestors mm-hmm. that were in that same part of the country at the same time back then, because I've done the genealogy for my family um, and know who they were and where they lived and all of that stuff. And it was right there in Virginia. And uh, I know. And so, so it's just like a whole other like layer of like, man, had we had those opportunities, had we not had been up against these, you know, colonizing yeah thank you i was trying to like just say colonization but yeah you're right <laughs> and yeah had you not been genocide no it's crazy so yeah so i know who my french ancestor was that came to the united or to the colonies pre-revolutionary war um and his name his last name was Beeble, just a bible um and he was part of a revolutionary war regiment that were known as the indian hunters like indian killers that's what they were supposed to do and then his grandson was the one who married my Cherokee ancestor. And so wow. that's how that's how I came to be on my mom's side of the family. And when we were driving back from New York City to from dropping Louie off, we stopped at the Bible family graveyard wow. um, in Virginia. And like it's still there. Father, yeah, it's still there. Like you can wow. see the graves. It's been like there was a there's a genealogist in that in that town um, that did a lot of the like the history of the area and found the family graveyard and it's all sunken in and the stones are barely there but it's there wow it's amazing it was it was it was amazing though so is that you can have that bible i guess was his last name even Bible. yeah um (laughs) but you're the person he married who was cherokee do they have their graveyard so they, so yeah, so here's where the family gets all worded out, right? So his grandson married um, my earliest Cherokee uh, ancestor. She was 19 and his second wife. And he mm. was like in his 40s. I would love to believe that it was, you know, true love, fairy tale. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just say that. Yeah, maybe. 
Um, I do. I do know that in order to purchase Cherokee land, you had to be married into the tribe if you were a white man. So I'm, I'm sure that probably had something to do with it. Um, but they moved from Virginia, um, Tennessee area to Indian Territory, which is Oklahoma, where my family's from, um, pri just prior to the Trail of Tears. So they did not have to endure that. And because he was a white man, he owned property and things like that. And so that's how my family ended up in Northern Oklahoma, where they, they're still there. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked for it, because it was like, there was a, a recent documentary I was watching about like, um, yeah, these two families that come together and it was a, a white family who owned <clears throat> the, a slave, right? And they were two women who had tracked back their ancestry and how they were linked. But like the black family, of course, the, the um, lineage from the slave family were disappeared, right? So like there wasn't, books there's not museums right because their whole their whole history is washed away right that's part of being there you know being a slave and so that's what i was wondering curious if it was similar to you um that you could find the headstones of biblis or beebles beebles yeah so they were from they're from the alsatian region of france which is like right at the border of france and germany and so like the alsatian region has changed hands apparently back and forth several times between germany and france so the name sounds very german but it was i don't know i don't know it's amazing. I yeah, I mean, it's, yes, but, but for me, yeah. you know, the way that it informs my identity, it's really complicated because it's like, you know, do you, do you identify with your colonizers, right? Do you really, like, do you, I say, do you, do I, like, how, how am I to regard them when they came here, probably from poverty in their home country, but at the same time they came here and you know perpetuated or participated in this genocide against the people that were here who are also my ancestors you know and how how do we do that when we identify with the people who are oppressing and abusing us you know so it's a very complex history and i think that's one of the things we'll talk about is just um, all of that right with with us in our communities and that very complex intersectional history that we have where we can have connections to the colonizer and we can have in the same family bloodlines tied to the slaves right and so it's just um part of our our histories um and so important for us to like you've done right Un increase that understanding and 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 well, and how does that show up in my life now, right? You know, because my mother presents, my, my mother who's Cherokee presents as, as a white woman, right, with blonde hair and blue eyes. And then my dad, who's, you know, dark for a Mexican, you know, descended from Mexico, you know, growing up with that kind of racism in my family where I had plenty of my mom's family who said very racist things about Mexicans growing up, but not you, honey, we love you, right? And then members of my dad's family who were like, you know, you think you're better because you're, you're white when clearly I'm not right. But, you know, and getting called a coconut and a half breed and, you know, as a, as a child, not like as a grown up, like as a little kid and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, and people saying that's not your real mom, she doesn't look like you. And, you know, and, and so like, you've got this like history in the genealogy that I've learned as an adult and then comparing that to how my identity developed as a kid and you know what does that mean is it is it history repeating itself is it just the 
the, the sequelae of racism and colonization that still is showing up right now? I mean, yes, you know, and how, how do I then make sure that it's not visited on my kids, right? Because, you know, of my four kids, one of them looks a lot like me and one is sort of like, I don't know, maybe, and two of my kids are very white passing, right? And, and all of the things like with colorism in our families, right? When I had kids, every time I would have a baby, everyone would rush to the hospital and be like, oh, look at the baby. Oh, I can't wait to eat though. Like, it's so pretty because it's so white, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then when my son who looks like me, they're like, oh, he's cute. He just looks like you, you know, oh, what is mm-hmm. he though? You know, <laughs> so, you know, and I laugh about it, but it- But not when you're a mom, a new mom, like you step away from my child. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, like Juliana, my youngest daughter, she's very, I mean, she's very fair skinned and she's got really light hair and, you know, she goes to school in a very diverse school and lots, like lots of kids from, you know, I, uh, I, I hate to say, you know, from lots of different African countries, like a pan-African kind of, um, I'm just, I'm murdering that. I'm, I, they're, they're from different countries, but I don't know which ones. Um, and South Asian and Indian and Asian. Um, and so she's like, yeah, I'm Mexican. And they're like, no, you're not. They like, don't believe her. And I'm like, punch them. I don't know. It hurts her. It's so she's like, no, I'm really Mexican. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, babe. <laughs> oh, it's so complicated. Yeah, so just when I thought I had it all figured out, then, you know, the kids bring a whole other layer, so. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, um, Gabby, Garen, did y'all have any more questions for Andrea? I don't think so. I think we covered. Yeah. Any advice for self-care? Just one last to wrap us up around this, like getting ready for this election. Um, Any last um, points of advice for... I mean, as, as much as I say, get involved and like find something to care about and do something, I think the, the inverse of that is know when to turn it off. Um, know when it's time to just say, I'm not gonna, I'm, I have a bad habit of leaving CNN running all day long and it's just repeating all day long, you know, or, or just on Twitter, just, you know, nobody's saying anything new, but I'm just like afraid I'm going to miss like the next breaking news thing, you know? And so you really do have to just like be like, okay, that's enough. I'm shutting it off. I'm going outside. I'm listening to Spotify. I'm just, you know, doing whatever I'm going to do. That's not that thing because even though it doesn't feel sometimes like it's like you're internalizing it, it really does sort of like compile and compile and compile on you to where um, you're like just me. I say me. I'm like this. Like I can feel my jaw tight. And yeah. I gotta get away from this for a second. Um, you know, and with everyone moving towards virtual, I find myself working a lot more or being like, let me just go over back to my desk and just like check my email really fast. And then I'm there for, you know, another 45 minutes doing something at work. You really have to put up those boundaries to protect yourself because um, nobody else is going to. I mean, most most bosses will be like, oh, you're going to answer emails in the middle of the night. Cool. I'm going to send you emails in the mm-hmm. middle of the night, you know, within reason. So, yeah, I mean, find find some trash TV to watch or not. I don't know. I don't know about you, but like I can watch, I don't, I don't watch much stuff on Netflix, but I'll watch trailers for like an hour, like the Netflix trailers, like trying to find something to watch. It's a big commitment. I don't want to choose the wrong thing. 
I just watched it Debutopia. It's Michelle Buteau's new stand-up comedy. Okay. It's hilarious. What's it called? Butopia. Her name's Be- Michelle Buteau. And um, she's a new mom. It's it's just hilarious. She's just hilarious. Hilarious. So okay. it's a good it's a good com, you know, it's a good break from the things, all the things. Yeah. So yeah, do it. So make sure y'all we are encouraging everyone to get out and vote. If you can, early voting in Texas starts on Tuesdays, uh, October 13th. Um, And research where early voting starts in your state. Usually, where to go. go. Yeah, usually in Texas, if you're in Texas, um, you can vote at any polling location early um, to do that. So, um, but, um, and if you don't have a ride to the polling locations, there are a lot of mutual aid organizations that, um, that, will give you a ride or you know if you call your elected official like council people will will say yes we can give you a ride to the to the polls um or connect you to an organization that can do that so um and i yeah and i do know that they i mean they're really taking a lot of precautions to make sure that um you know you're they give you like when we did um early voting or we voted for the uh what did we vote for oh for the primary um lots of precautions six feet away from everyone else and like doing everything so you're not touching anything or touching anybody um in the way that you know they verify your identification and all of that so i think i think it's as safe as it's going to be um but um i i I think it's to me i mean i say this because i you know but i i feel like it, it for me it's worth the risk of going to the poll because i feel like we have such dire implications for for this election it really could you know set us up for four more years of just misery so yeah we'll see we'll see but vote 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 and you know do it send five dollars to your favorite candidate they need it you know um phone banking text banking a lot of people are are doing text banks just to like get out the vote like in and text banking is so easy they set you up with an account and you send a hundred texts at a time and you just literally like go click, 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 click like this. And you click it a hundred times and um, forget out the vote. It's usually people that um, are supportive of the candidate. So they'll reply and it's online. So you, you're, you know, they're replying to you on text and saying, yes, I'm going to vote for whoever. Um, and it takes, you know, a couple hours, but it's super easy. So cool. I well, think it's let's fun. Let's do it. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm this do it so Saturday much fun. night. Saturday night, we're just going to get on to text bank. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Oh my gosh. I was texting a a list that wasn't like strong support for the candidate. It was, there were a lot of people that were not, and I I got called so many names and just, (laughs) oh no. (laughs) I have a thick skin, so I can take it. I was cracking up. I was like, did they just say that to me? God. I used to have thick skin, not anymore. I'd be crying. <laughs> I never had thick skin. I don't think I ever will. I cry inside, which I know is not self-care, but I cry inside. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for, was this what you wanted? You. Because, I mean. Totally. Yes. Totally. It's a great this conversation. Is awesome. I, I, I wish people would ask me to talk about myself more often. I love talking <laughs> about myself. All right. So for you, this week's Chingones, Chingon Corner is um, actually the son of Dr. Andrea Guerrero Guajardo. 
uh, and his name is Louis Guajardo. Um, Louis has a really cool, cool, cool website. Um, he's an artist and I wanna read something from his website that I think is really cool um, that kind of expresses what he says um, his art is. So it says, my art is just another example of the universe expressing itself visually to portray the harsh realities of life, subjugation, love, and those who bring the ruckus. That is really cool. Yeah, he's pretty badass. Yeah, and actually I would encourage everyone to go visit the website. It's louisart.com and it's Louis with L-O-U-I-E-L-O-U-I-E-art.com because this is just a little piece of what um, Louis expresses what his art is and there's a lot more there's a lot more he talks about his um, Latinx side and what he brings how that brings that to his art and brings some other how his techniques which I think is really cool um, so yeah that oh you can also see their Facebook Twitter and Instagram mm -hmm. so yeah so follow them yes um, they're amazing We'll make sure to tag them on our on our post so you can go to their links. And a shout out to Doctora Guerrero for Guajardo for having such a bad. I'm always so amazed. Like her children are so badass. Um, and he just went to New York, and she talks about him in the episode, and um, it's really really amazing. And those another Latino artist out there, follow him. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. Bye.